Would Psalm 57, Psalm 57, and I appreciate you uh, praying. My voice is getting a little bit stronger, uh, but these allergies, man, I just cannot shake the allergies. Anyone else battling allergies right now? Okay, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. Mornings are miserable. And uh, it's annoying when you wake up and uh, you're, you're trying to get your son to get out of bed and get ready and you're trying to, to you know, uh, get him quickly to, to go in and you can't raise your voice or anything because your voice is just gone and raspy and everything. We were riding in the vehicle this morning and he was doing some of his homework uh, again as we were headed there. He was practicing some reading and I was talking to him. He said, Dad, I can't hear you. I was like, yeah, I know. Okay, just just forget it, okay? And, uh, but it's, it's, a, it's a frustrating thing, but it's almost there, and so we'll see, see uh, if the Lord uh, strengthens it tonight for just a little while. Psalm 57, if you would. Psalm 57 is probably one uh, that is uh, very familiar to many of you. Maybe it's just that one verse, though. Psalm 57, as you come to this psalm, you see verse number seven, my heart is fixed, O God, my heart is fixed, I will sing and give praise. And maybe that's the one verse in Psalm 57 you say, yeah, when I think of Psalm 57, that's where my mind goes to. But as you come to Psalm 57, you'll find that there's so much more to this psalm than that one verse. As a matter of fact, you find in the midst of this psalm right here, all of what David is dealing with and the circumstances that he is facing. And you find that David, in the very beginning, places his trust in the Lord. You'll find that the the psalmist begins to reflect on some traps and the enemies trying to invade and destroy him. And you're familiar with all this. We could go back and look at the passage of Scripture in Samuel and see some of those things that that is taking place. But you're familiar with this for the most part. I would imagine we'll hash it out a little bit, uh, but not go all the way back to 1 and 2 Samuel and, and study the life of David tonight. But you might see some things this evening that might be a help to you because you might be facing some troubling circumstances. In the midst of those troubles, David begins to place his trust in the Lord and those traps that he finds that the enemy is setting have no match to his God who brings triumph in the midst of this situation right here. I don't know where you're at this evening. You might have just gotten some of the worst news of your life. You might be facing uh, troubling circumstances in a season of your life where you're just trying to make it through. And there's traps set before you. That you've got certain people that are always just trying to get to you and arguing with you and trying to discourage you and defeat you. We know the devil does that. And we already know that there are certain situations the devil's trying to take hold of and destroy the child of God and discourage the child of God. But can I share with you tonight No matter how bad the troubles are, no matter how many times the enemy is lurking around, they are no match to our God and what he has planned for our lives. As a matter of fact, notice in Psalm 57 some of the most powerful statements you'll find that oftentimes we overlook. Here in a few moments we're going to look at this, but I want you to notice verse number 2. I love verse number 2. We're going to park here in a minute in verse number 2 for just a little while. We might not even get through Psalm 57 all the way because I love that in the midst of the troubles, he goes on to say, I will cry unto God. God most high. He goes on and says, unto God that performeth all things for me. This evening, I want you to notice three things, and we won't be long. We might not make it all the way through, but in the entirety of the message is not real long. We'll let the Lord have it, though. Number one, we see David's cry. David's cry here. At the very beginning of verse number one, he says, Be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me, my soul. Trusteth in thee, yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge. Under these calamities be overpassed. You go on and you see, verse number two again, I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me from the reproach of him that would swallow me up, Selah. 
God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. And so in the very first three verses, you begin to see that David is crying out here. In the midst of him crying out, there are some verses that we could easily often overlook. And there are some statements here that you will find that are true and that you'll find to be a very confident building in your own life. It'll build that confidence. As a matter of fact, you're going to see that confidence in David's life here in a few moments at the very end of this psalm. But in the midst of his cry, he goes on and he begins to cry out for mercy. He says, be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me. He he emphasizes it twice in the very first few words of this psalm. You see, when he begins to make the statement, we understand, okay, he is asking for this. But then we begin to see that he goes and he rehashes once again what he has already said. We begin to realize that he's not just asking for this, but he has an earnest plea. He's pleading with God. He's begging of God, be merciful unto me in this situation. And so some things we begin to see about David crying here, three statements are made in these first three verses that begin to reveal David's heart. The first one is found in verse number one. When he goes on and he says, Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge. Unto thee these calamities be overpassed. He is making a call unto the Lord. He is crying unto the Lord, Lord, hide me. He's not asking the Lord to hide him in the sense of you not be there, Lord. Give me somewhere to hide myself. No, he is making the statement in verse number one. In the shadow of thy wings will I make refuge unto these calamities be overpassed. Lord, hide me. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings as you go and you begin to understand some of those statements that are being made right here. In this one statement right here that he is saying, Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make refuge until these calamities be overcast. He is desiring mercy, but he is desiring it in such a way that he's making it an emphasis. But he goes on and uses that statement, those that would swallow me up. Now, those that would swallow me up, he's speaking of the enemy here. We understand the passage of Scripture. Saul is chasing after David. David is trying to find some relief. And as a matter of fact, in just a moment, you're going to see that David makes a statement because the enemy is trying to get to David to destroy his life, to kill him. But you're familiar with this. Saul, in the midst of him chasing David, puts his own life at risk two times. David could have taken his life. And so here in a moment, you're going to see that though they were laying some traps, it's always very funny. You know, I grew up in Indiana, and during our time in Indiana, there was a neighborhood that we lived in. We lived in two houses while I was there. And um, we moved whenever I was in probably the fifth or sixth grade over Uh, just really up the road in all reality, but we moved into an established neighborhood. And I had two friends that I grew up with that we would spend a lot of time with. One of them was, his name was Josh, and the other one was Luke, and they were twins, Josh and Luke Farney. And uh, so you had Farmer and you had Farney, and that, that, that we just hung out all the time together. And they lived in a beautiful, beautiful neighborhood. And they were one of the very first houses built in this neighborhood. It was, it was a giant neighborhood. They had a lot of land in between the houses and all this. Well, I believe this is illegal, but we did it anyways. And, and this is just, you know, how it works. And, you know, when you're kids, you do dumb things. And you get on you, to your children, and then they realize it was dumb. But they keep doing it. One of those types of things. And I remember we went and we played in some houses that were being built. And uh, it had the frame up and... And, um, Brother Cyrus, please do not get angry. I know you're a contractor. Please do not get mad at my past, okay? I've gotten right with the Lord since. But <laughs> they had the frame up, and they had the rooms, you know. There was no, the walls were not on there. There was no framing as far as that goes. Just the, the, the bones, if you were to say it that way. So, 
these were big two-story and three-story houses, and so we would take our airsoft guns, and we would, we would have airsoft wars in these houses. I'm sure the contractors really loved us, you know? And uh, Brother Cyrus, is, he's, he's in the flesh right now, can't wait to come up here at the end of the service and deal with me. And, but as you think about that, I remember we were playing, and there would be times whenever we would be running around the corner, and we'd be trying to trap one of our other people that were playing. There'd be about four or five of us playing, and all of a sudden, when we were trying to go around the corner to trap someone else, we'd find ourselves in such a way where now we put ourselves in, in the view because there were no walls up. So I'd be trying to get to one person, but then that one person is trying to just escape me, but I've got three others that I've just exposed myself to. You begin to think about what David is saying here. David is saying, the enemy tried to trap me, but in the midst of all of that, God was on my behalf. God was working. God was on my side. And so when he makes a statement in verse 1, In the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. He is making known as they make that statement to swallow me up. That statement swallow me up speaks of to gasp, to pant, to thirst for blood or devour, to crust or to trample to pieces. So three things you notice about that statement in the shadow of thy wings that speaks of our God. And David is acknowledging these things. These things. The first one is very simple. It's, it's that it shows God's affection. When a child is in need, who do they call on? They call on their parents. Mom, I need you. Dad, I need you. I remember being in Bible college and there would be times whenever I needed help. And so the very first person that I would call would typically be my parents. Hey, I need you. And just as a child of God, when we need the Lord to intervene, we call on our God because we know that he loves us. You ever made the statement, or maybe your parents have made the statement to you, maybe you thought they were extremely angry with you, and you might have made the statement that you thought that, the, that, that mom or dad, I thought you would be so angry, I thought you would stop loving me or something. Your parent looks at you and said, there's nothing you could ever do that would make me stop loving you. Our Heavenly Father loves us despite all the many times we have failed Him. The circumstances that we bring upon our lives, the sin that we act upon, the things that we do, the conversations that we have. And sometimes we sit there and we say, oh, I'm too, I'm just, I'm just too far gone for God to love me anymore. No, it shows his affection. You think about David, if, if, if there was one, you think about David, the, the valleys that he found himself, the mountaintops that he experienced. But in those valleys, the valleys that he found himself in because of the things that he had done. And in the midst of those things that he had done, he still found the grace of God and that God still loved him and desired to use him. You see, this world tells us many times when someone has done something, they say, oh, you can't be used. God can't do anything with your life. And there's a man that we've talked about. His name is Robert that was in prison that was no, not, not by any means one that should have been let out of prison. He will even tell you, I committed the murder. But by the grace of God, for some reason, God saw fit to allow him to get out of prison. You can go and you can look him up on, on Facebook. He's in a prison, the same prison that he was let out of, preaching the gospel. With tears in his eyes, saying, I didn't deserve to get out. The world will tell him, hey, you've been in prison, you've done this, you've done this. God can't use you. This man had murdered someone. This man spent a great deal of time in his life in prison. And there will be people that will look at him and say, God can't use you any longer. And God says, I beg to differ. Watch how I'm going to use him. As a matter of fact, I'm going to send him to the place that I took him out of and use him there. 
that's just how loving our God is. In spite of all that we have done and the things that we do, He still loves us. It speaks of God's protection. Notice that statement again that you find, Yea, in the shadow of thy wings. It speaks of God protecting His children. I don't know about you. I remember getting so frustrated. This was years ago, and we've all probably heard this statement or this illustration before. But I remember getting so frustrated because I was late to something. And it wasn't because I'd, I'd left late, but just traffic. And uh, my daughter is the worst about this. We'll be in town on Wilma Rudolph, and the light will be green, but we're in the turning lane, and we have to yield, and she'll be yelling at me to go, 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 go. And I said, you don't understand, all right? There's a reason. I'm protecting you. Just hush. Sit back there and just, just be along for the ride. But I remember being in the vehicle and trying to get somewhere and being so frustrated about it. And then I remember hearing a preacher just simply preach. I was young at this point in time. I mean, just started driving and was probably just a couple of years removed from high school and, and all that and, and Bible college. And I remember him preaching and talking about that, those times in our lives when in those moments we can get so frustrated. But then up the way, we find out there was a bad accident. And maybe it was, just maybe, God was protecting us from something. I had a conversation with a dear old lady just the other day who her husband had passed away. And I'm not going to share her name, but the testimony is powerful. And she was talking to me for just a few moments and sharing her heart. And this encouraged me because sometimes we have a different outlook until we really get in the Word of God and see what God is trying to do. And we say, Lord, just teach me. You see, we're always asking, Lord, just show me. Lord, I want to know, I want to know, I want to know. But sometimes it does us good to say, Lord, you just teach me. I'll be in this season of schooling right now. And I was listening to her as she was telling me this story and pouring her heart out. And there had come a time whenever she could have remarried. And she, for some reason, the Lord just didn't give her peace about this one relationship, whatever the case might be. And so then she began to, you know, just live her life. And she came to realize whether it was a year or so, I can't remember the timeline. But that gentleman ended up remarrying and was on vacation doing something, had walked in from the beach, sat in his chair and had a heart attack just like that. And, and while she was talking to me, she said, well, Josh, the Lord was protecting me. In the time, I didn't know why. I didn't have peace. Great man. It would have brought a lot of happiness, but I didn't know why. But maybe it was, just maybe, the Lord protecting her from more hurt that she had already experienced. You see, sometimes we get so mad at God because we look at things and we say, there's nothing wrong with that, but God is saying no. It's kind of like a child that is mad at their parents for telling them not to do something, and they have a reason, and their child is so angry and so bitter at their parents for telling them no, and they get mad, and they begin to fuss, they begin to argue, they begin to live in such a way where they shouldn't live, and they're getting mad at their dad or their mom or whatever the case might be, and their parents have a reason. They just say, you'll understand one day I'm trying to protect you. Our Heavenly Father does that. So, so many times we walk into the house of God, So bitter at God because we see something. We say, there's nothing wrong with that. Lord, why are you saying no to that? Sometimes it very well could be just for your protection. You don't see the big picture. But can I share with you, your heavenly father loves you. We see that statement, yea, in the shadow of thy wings. That is acknowledging the Lord's affection. Listen, there is nothing the Lord is holding back from you. Everything he desires for you is right at your fingertips if you will just trust him and follow him. Sometimes we veer. We go. That poem that has been used many times, the the road that's less traveled. You think about that. And sometimes we like to choose those roads that are traveled often and we get into sin. We do things that we're not supposed to. Hey, you know the road that's less traveled? It's the Christian road. 
It's the faithful to God road. You know why? Because so many times in the Christian life, we say, Lord, I don't like that answer, so I'm going to do it anyways. Then we find out Lord had a reason for us not doing it. Not only do we see his protection, not only do we see his affection, but we see his direction here. Notice that statement again in verse number one. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge. Until these calamities, notice this word right here, be overpassed. You know, it's been said that troubles and trials come in the blink of an eye. You don't get to choose when they come. You don't get to choose how long they stay. But in the midst of it, you can enjoy the presence of the Lord bringing you along the way. David understood this. Now, if you were to ask David, David, you did, you, did you enjoy being on the run from Saul? You'll find in Scripture that David, he, he's honestly, he's a little confused at what's going on. Saul, I, I'm, I did this for you. I wanted it to be a servant. I just want to be a help to you. Why are you trying to kill me? And so he's a little, he's a little you know, confused about this. He doesn't know why this is going on. He's puzzled by this action and, and what's going on. But he finds himself making this statement. In the midst of making this statement right here at the very end, until these calamities be overpassed, he is acknowledging, Lord, you just guide me through. You just direct me. I'm going to get into the protection of God. Lord, I just need you to guide me. I want to be faithful in following you. And so we see that David, in verse number one, is saying, Lord, hide me. But in verse number two, we see that he says, Lord, hear me. Notice the very first words in verse number two. I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. <clears throat> In the statement that he makes, I will cry, we begin to realize that he is doing three actions here. Notice the first one. The first one we see is he is saying, I will cry unto, the God, the, uh, unto God the most high. This is speaking of his passion here. He is saying, I will cry. This is not one of those situations where he is just saying, you know, Lord, I'm going to bring the... No, he's passionate about this. Lord, I, I need you to work here. I'm crying unto you, Lord. I, I'm pleading with you. Lord, I'm begging of you. Lord, work on my behalf. But then you begin to see his focus. You see, he says, I will cry, speaking of his passion. He goes on to say in verse number two, he says, I will cry unto God most high. So his focus is on a reverent God. A uh, good God. His focus is on a holy God. He is, he is recognizing in that statement as he is saying, I will cry, Lord, I'm passionate about this, and you're the only one that can fix it. You see his focus here. But then you begin to see his praise. Notice this here. Unto God that performeth all things for me. Now the statement that is made, the word performance speaks to bring to an end, to complete, to perfect, if you would. We know this to be true, that the Lord is trying to do a work in our lives. I've said this before, that every single person in our lives is brought through our lives for a season and for a reason. Sometimes it's for good, sometimes it's for good, but in a different way. You know this to be true. There are some people that you will say, hey, I've really learned a lot of lessons from them. And they will ask you, well, what kind of lessons? Sometimes it might be, well, some things that I probably should be doing that I haven't been doing. The other response is, some things I shouldn't do that they're doing. You see, everyone in our lives is brought in our lives for a season and for a reason. And sometimes we don't know how long that season's going to be. Uh, a couple of years ago, I remember it was early on in my pastorate. I remember there was a family or two that were visiting our church. And some of you that have been here since I uh, started pastoring will remember this. But there was a family that had come into our church and they were following a man by the name of Stephen Anderson. I don't know if you know Stephen Anderson, but Stephen Anderson's got a little uh, doctrinal issues, if I were to say it the nicest way I can. 
He's a little loony in some areas. And, and Stephen Anderson was saying things and doing things and all this, and these two families were really behind him on all these things. And I remember we got to talking, and, and I, I really felt bad. I had an honest conversation with one of them. And I asked them, plain and simple, I said, if you know you disagree, they were new Christians, I said, why are you even coming to our church? If you know we disagree on these, these core doctrines here. I mean, it's not like little things like, hey, should I, you know, uh, wear a, a white shirt on Sundays or should I wear a blue shirt on Sundays? It's not stuff like that, you know? Should I, should I put my left shoe on first or my right shoe on first? Like, not silly stuff like that. These are, these are serious things. And they said, because every church we have gone to, the pastor has not told us, plain and simple, why he believes what he believes. So I recognized immediately in this season of my life, early on in my pastorate, this is an opportunity. Two opportunities. One, to teach me. So I dug a little deeper on the issues that they really had questions about. And we sat down many times, and I tried to disciple them and bring them along because I knew that they were new Christians following someone that they should not be following the preaching and teaching from. But there hadn't been someone who was willing to show them from God's word why we believe what we believe. That was the first lesson. The second lesson that I knew that I was learning from them was that you're not always going to reach everyone that you have a burden for. And that was a freeing thing for me early on in my ministry because as you know this to be true, when you come in contact with someone, you get a burden, you say, Lord, I want to reach them. They need the truth. But here's the truth. You can only show them so much. And at some point in that conversation, I remember I had Brother Dalton come and sit down. I said, maybe you can show some things that I'm not making clear and this and that. And he came and sat down with them for a couple of hours. And after that meeting, he said, but Josh, he said, they're set in their ways. You're not going to change their mind because all they're listening to is that other man nonstop. So I remember we had a conversation and I told him, I said, look, it's probably just best if y'all don't come to our church if you don't agree with all of these many things. And this is going to be an issue moving forward. You're not going to be able to serve and you're not going to be able to teach like you want to. One of them felt the Lord was calling to preach and said, I'm not letting you get into the pulpit. You know, all of these major issues that we had. And I remember in that season, I, you can ask Miss Kelly, I remember just being so discouraged because I was thinking, man, I, I wish I could have done more. But there were schooling seasons for me. And I remember in those times, I remember thinking back and thinking that the Lord was beginning to perform a work in my life that I needed. Can I share with you this evening that there are some seasons that you will go through and some seasons that we'll just call schooling seasons for just a moment. That it almost seems like you're really educated to take Algebra 1, but you feel like you're in pre-cal. That's the way it feels sometimes. Uh, it, it feels like you're a first grader, but you're taking classes that a sixth grader would be taking. And you're sitting there and you're frustrated. Lord, I don't understand why this is going on, but... The Lord is performing a work in your life. You say, well, I don't know about that. Well, let's look at the scripture for just a moment. Philippians 1, 6, the Bible says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it on the day of Jesus Christ. You find that word performeth, perform, multiple times in scripture. Philippians 2, 13, for it is good, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure, working and performing on your behalf. James 1, 4, some of you have been praying for patience. 
Well, James 1, 4 deals with this, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Again, that word performance speaks of to complete, to perfect, to do an ongoing work, if you would. And some of you are in a school right this very moment. The Lord is schooling you and he is teaching you some things, and it's a struggle. Imagine for just a moment David trying to, to just scratch his head saying, Lord, what are you trying to show me here? He didn't find it pleasant, so he says, Lord, help me. Because the final thing that he goes to is he says here in this passage of Scripture, he's calling out to the Lord, and he says in verse number 2, unto God that performeth all things for me, he shall send from heaven and save me from reproach of him that would swallow me up, Selah. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. So we see that he is saying, God, hide me. He's saying, God, hear me. Now he is saying, God, help me. And he understands this here. You see, David is being reminded here for the future that past times in which God has helped you is a reminder that in future times God will still help you. You know, the Lord is is present, and David was being reminded of this, and he is acknowledging the Lord in a very powerful way in verse number 2. And so that season that he has found himself in was not where the Lord was just saying, hey, I'm going to leave you high and dry. No, David, I'm going to bring you along. And later on in this psalm, you find that to be true. He cries out to the Lord. He says, be merciful unto me. Verse number two, I will cry unto God. Verse number three, he shall send from heaven. Notice the transition here. Verse number one, he's calling unto the Lord for help. Verse number two He's calling unto the Lord, and he is reminding himself the very end of verse number 2, unto God that performeth all things. So he is calling unto God for mercy. Then he is calling unto God, and he is reminding himself and praising the Lord. You see, that statement, unto God, is one speaking of truth. Lord, you've always been faithful. I can count on you to be faithful again. Um, There are times whenever... Our nieces and nephews will spend the night, or there, there have been times whenever church kids have spent the night with their friends, which is our kids, and certain things like that. And sometimes we will be making one of them some dinner. And the statement that sometimes is made is this. I'll be making them, let's just say, a peanut butter and jelly. Sounds good right now. Grape jelly for me, personally. But I'll be making them peanut butter and jelly, and I might not put as much jelly as they would want. And so they will say something along the lines of, could you please put more jelly on mine? My mom always puts this much. You know what they have found to be true for them? That mom knows how to make a peanut butter and jelly. And she always does it the right way. She's never failed. I remember being so jealous. Me and Brother Zach went to school together in high school, and I remember being so jealous because I would bring, you know, a, a lunch to, to home, and I would enjoy, or I mean, to school, and I'd enjoy my lunch. But man, could Nanny make a sub. I mean, she could make a sub, and she'd always do it right. And I remember thinking about that and being so jealous because I, I would look at that and say, Nanny always makes you a good sub. Can I share with you, David, as he is making this statement right here, verse number two, I will cry unto God most high, the God that performeth all things, he is reminding himself that the past help is not just in the past. That our God doesn't just work and remind us that we can look back on the past, but our God is a present working God. And those present times and those past times remind us of the future that is coming and that we can always count on our Heavenly Father to work in our lives. 
the statement performeth, he is reminding himself right here that God has a purpose in all this. Do I know what it is? Absolutely not, but I know the Lord is working. Number one, we see David's cry. Number two, we see David's crisis. In verse number four, he says, my soul is among lions. Here we go, right off the bat. Right off the bat, this is a serious situation. I mean, think about a lion for just a moment. A lion is not a little puppy. You know, puppies, whenever they're, 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 they're puppies, they're, they're jumpy. They're, they're nipping at you. They're, they're barking a little bit. They're not lions. A lion devours. A lion takes care of business the first time. A lion shreds you to pieces. A lion is one who is out to kill, if you would. So this situation that David has found himself, he is acknowledging this is a serious situation. As he makes the statement, my soul is among lions, and I lie even among them that are set on fire, even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue as a sharp sword. This is a serious situation. It's not like David's waking up every single day thinking, man, another adrenaline rush. This is going to be a fun one today. No, he's on the run. These are enemies that are trying to kill him. And so he is acknowledging this in the midst of him doing this and all of what he is facing. Notice what he goes on to say. This serious situation, he gives a couple of details. His soul is among lions. And he goes on and says, I lie even among them that are set on fire. Fire consumes. Fire destroys. Just saw the other day a preacher in West Virginia that is uh, on the road with Brother Scott Polly. His house, one night, everything just burned up. Just like that. You begin to think about a fire. A fire, it grabs hold and all of a sudden it destroys everything. And so as he is making this statement here, he is referencing to his enemies and that they want to kill him. And that in the midst of the fire, he feels as though he is lying in the midst of the fire right there, waiting to be consumed. Can I help you to picture this for a moment? If you were to be <coughs> in a fire this evening as you go home, let's just say your house catches on fire. And you call the fire department, you call 911, you say, my house is on fire. You're not jumping on the phone, and you're not saying, yes, I'm calling. Uh, this is my address. My house is on fire. I know you all are very busy tonight. You have a lot going on. But when you get here, could you please uh, make yourself available as quickly as possible? No. If your house is on fire, you're screaming on the phone, my house is on fire. My babies. My, 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 my belongings, everything is being burned up right now. I need you to get here as quickly as you can. And here's the truth. When a phone call is made to those, the operator doesn't say, hey, hold on just a few minutes. Let me, let me get my pen. Let me get my paper. Let me just hold on. No, they have everything right then because they understand how serious it is. You see, sometimes we think our God doesn't know what we're facing. And it's as though we call out to God, as though we're calling out to an operator that doesn't have time to care for us, and as if he's putting us on hold, and as if he doesn't care about our situation. But can I share with you that God knew about that situation long before you ever knew about that situation. God knew what he was going to do before you even entered into that, that season of schooling. And he's not oblivious to those things. He's not looking at it saying, hey, I've, I've thrown you in this, and I don't know how to fix it. No, he knows what you need. Help, Father, I need you, David says. 
I feel as though the enemy is going to devour me. Is the, the fire, I'm just lying here and the enemy is going to... It's not God's just sitting there, oh, well, I don't know, David. No. David is aware of everything and he is pouring out his heart to the Lord. And it's a serious situation. As you begin to think about the serious situation, notice in verse number four what he goes on to say. Because this is one that is not just applied to the enemies of the world. Sometimes we find this in the local church and in Christians' lives. Whose teeth are spears and arrows. And their tongue as a sharp sword. Notice this for just a moment. The psalmist goes on to say, whose teeth are spears and arrows, speaking of their teeth. He goes on to say their tongue, a sharp sword, speaking of their teeth and their tongue here for just a second. You say, oh yeah, well we can always bank on the enemy. That is true, we can. The enemy is always going to say hurtful things. But as you go back to Psalms, Psalm 55, the psalmist is acknowledging betrayal. Do you remember what he says? It was not an enemy. It was a friend. You see, sometimes if we're not careful, we, we acknowledge the enemies are going to say hurtful things. But you know, those times, they don't really, they don't really hurt, if that, that makes sense. They hurt, but not to the extent of a friend. Notice for just a moment what the Bible says about our tongue, because if I could encourage you tonight, one of the things that we must contain, and, or, 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 or tame rather, this is the tongue. We as Christians can say such, such mean things to each other. And we can be so hateful about things. And we can lose our testimony just like that. The Bible says in Proverbs twelve eighteen, There is that speaketh the, like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying that it may minister grace unto the hearers. James 3, 8, But the tongue can no man tame. It is unruly evil, full of deadly poison. James 3, 5, Even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. See, the tongue. The psalmist is making this very clear that his tongue is the one that is causing some issues and the pain that he is experiencing. And so we begin to acknowledge in verse number four that it's a serious situation. If you look at this, and you say, oh, David, just get over it. No, it's not something he can just get over. His life is at stake. Not only do we see it's a serious situation, but we see that the Savior is exalted in verse number five as he says, be, exalt, be thou exalted, O God. Verse number 11, be thou exalted, O God. We see salvation experienced in verse number six. As he says, they have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have digged a pit before me. And in the midst whereof they are fallen themselves, Selah. There it is. The enemy has dug a pit. Trying to trap. And in the midst of trying to do so, as you go and you study scripture, Saul is trying to trap David. But all of a sudden, Saul finds himself trapped. And at any moment, David could kill Saul. But he chooses to spare his life. David is acknowledging this here as we're seeing the insight given to us. Now, for time purposes, I, I don't want to go any further because I don't want us to rush through verse number 7. Verse number 7 on down, you see David pouring his heart out, but he has now what we would consider a great confidence. His confidence is not in himself. His confidence is in his God. 
His confidence is not in his abilities. His confidence is in the Lord's provision and guidance and protection upon his life. And so next Wednesday, Brother John Dalton will be here with us. And the following Wednesday, I'll be preaching uh, and dealing with this. And I want you to understand here for just a few moments concerning this statement that is found. My heart is fixed, oh God. My heart is fixed. We'll elaborate in a couple of weeks on this. But the statement fixed speaks of to be established, stable, secure, steadfast, ready, prepared, understanding all of those things. His heart was fixed, if you would. It's not, you might be asking, Lord, I'm going through some trouble. Lord, you read Psalm 57 and you see that at the very end we see triumph, even though he was facing troubling circumstances. Well, the whole reason that David was able to triumph is because David's trust, as we see, was not placed in himself. It was placed in God. Let me be very, very practical for just a moment. The smallest of decisions in our lives can bring the greatest seasons of pain and hurt because we don't put our trust in the Lord. We say, ah, this is an easy one. We must always ask ourselves this question, Lord, what would you have? What would you have? And for just in closing, just a minute, I want to pass seven things. I'm not even going to elaborate. I'm just going to pass on what you say. I want a fixed heart on the Lord. I'll elaborate on these in a couple of weeks. Number one, recognize the presence of the Lord regardless of your circumstances. You say, but preacher, you don't understand how bad they are. I, I don't understand how bad they are. But they can't be so bad that your God is no longer good. Recognize His presence. Remain steadfast and focus on Christ. You say, ah, it's just hard. Well, focus on Him. See, the more you focus on Him, the easier it gets to walk through those things because you're relying upon Him. Remove what weakens you spiritually. Now, this is a hard one. Who's in your ear? What habits do you have that are formed that are not helping you to grow spiritually? Weaken those things. When I got saved, I realized... You know what? The music I'm listening to probably is not great. Let, let, me, let me be very practical for just a moment. Many of you know sports and are familiar with sports. A man by the name of Ja Morant just recently. Up and coming star in the NBA. Just recently got himself into trouble. Was at a party in Las Vegas or somewhere. Had a gun in his hand waving it around. Living a, 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 a righteous, I mean a, a wicked lifestyle and doing things. And all of a sudden he says, hey... I've got to take a step. And so he goes and he gets some help and therapy for stress. So he's being asked questions. Hey, do you have an alcohol pre- uh, problem and all these many things? And he's saying, no, I went there to manage my stress. Okay, so keep in mind for just a moment all of that. We as Christians understand there are certain things that we should not do because it influences our behavior. A man by the name of Jaw Rule. I don't know who he is. I think he's a rapper. Ja Rule was being interviewed, and I read this today. Ja Rule said this, you can bank on it that the rap music that he listens to influences his decisions. Now look at me. That ain't Christian advice. That's stating the obvious. So for just a moment, can I encourage you, what are you listening to? What conversations are you having? What are you watching? What are are you looking at? What, what, what habits have you formed that are not good, godly habits within your life? What places are you going to? 
I mean, let's, let's evaluate all of it. Because if a man that, that is just speaking from a practical standpoint says, hey, the rap music that John Morant listens to influences his decisions and his actions, that ought to click with the Christian and say, you know what, I probably should stop listening to it too. Uh, you know what, I probably should stop you know, taking part in those things too. I was talking to someone a couple of years ago, and they made the statement, yeah, this, this music that they listen to, it's not real. It's, it's, it's Christian rap, but they don't even realize it. Can I share with you? That's sad. That's not a compliment. You say, oh, this is, this is rock, rock music, but they don't even realize that this is Christian rock music. Are you, you trying to impress me right now? Because that means that it sounds and acts and, and gives the same feel of everything the world gives. So we've got to remove the things that are not healthy for us spiritually. Fourthly, resist those temptations. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 9, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. And resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. While away in North Carolina, I was preaching... Sunday evening after I got done preaching, one of the preachers was just giving a a closing couple of announcements and making a statement. He said, you know, the times in which I have found where the devil was fighting the hardest were the times when I knew that he realized he was losing ground on my life. Resist the temptations. When the devil is fighting, he knows he is losing right then, so he's going to fight harder. Number five, be ready to stand alone. Doing what God would have us to do is not always a popular thing. It doesn't matter about being popular. Paul wasn't concerned about that. Peter wasn't concerned about that. The Lord doesn't desire that we be concerned about that. We can go on example after example in Scripture. We say, you know what, They, they just were faithful to God. Daniel purposed in his heart. I mean, he could have been the cool guy and going along with everything else. And still, the Bible tells us, though, in chapter number one, they were found ten times better. Number six, seek to be revived in your life from the seasons of ruts. We talked about this a little bit in our Sunday school hour, but every single one of us needs revival in our lives. Number seven, refuse to quit. Just mark it down. I will not quit on you, Lord. I will not. Number eight, learn to rejoice in the Lord. We're going to elaborate on all of these here in a couple of weeks, and I want to help you in in this area because... In verse number seven, it builds up everything that David has been going through, the troubles that he is facing and the the traps that were lying right there. But at the very beginning of the psalm, David determines to trust in the Lord. At the end of verse number seven, you see all of it moving forward as he says, my heart is fixed, O God, and he triumphs. And we begin to see the Lord acknowledging, or David acknowledging some things and the work the Lord was trying to do in his life. And it was a season that he had to go through. But David recognized, Lord, you're going to perform what you desire to perform. A season of schooling. I don't know what's going on. I don't understand it. But Lord, you'll bring me through it. Can I encourage you? I don't know where you're at, what you're going through, but I can tell you this. The Lord will bring you through it. Trust him. No matter how bad the troubles are. On the other side of it, you'll be able to triumph and realize that the Lord makes no mistakes. He's faithful then. He's faithful now. He'll be faithful forever. Lord, we do thank you tonight. Lord, I pray that you'd help us, guide us, and direct us in this regard. Sometimes we can begin to question and doubt and become bitter because we don't understand what's going on and why things are going on. And David here says, my heart is fixed, O Lord. His heart wasn't fixed on his circumstances. 
They weren't fixed on his own abilities. His heart was fixed on you. And Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in our midst. And Lord, how you're working in our church and in people's lives. And Lord, there might be one who here tonight is going through a troubling season. Lord, they don't know what's going on, why it's happening. But Lord, they want to trust you. They want to triumph. The troubles are many. But Lord, you're greater. I pray that you'd help us to acknowledge that tonight. Fortune, Jesus, name we do pray.